Hey folks, welcome to another edition of the Mental Health Podcast. Um, I have Rebecca here with me and I can't wait for you guys to hear from her. Hey Rebecca, how are things with you? Good, good. How are things with you? Uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's been busy. It's been overwhelming. It's been a lot of things. So uh, uh, all things fun. But uh, yeah, I mean like you know, um, I've been talking to a lot of different people and it's been very interesting to hear different perspectives on mental health. And, you know, my question to you would be, what does mental health mean to you? Yes. Uh, yeah. And I definitely, um, I can understand it's a really big and important question. I think for so many people are thinking a lot more about mental health, which I'm really glad about. And for me, mental health really means um, feeling aware of and in touch with one's own and others' emotional lives um, mm -hmm. and feeling okay about navigating um, a range of emotions, kind of feeling like emotions are welcome and that we can sit with our harder emotions and help process them and help others process them without feeling like we have to push them away or stuff them down. Um, so for me, it's much more about openness than anything else. Definitely. I mean, I think, um, I don't know, there are certain things which get normalized and you mentioned it, right, in terms of like, you know, some conversations are happening, but, you know, th there are uh, still, you know, certain conversations which don't happen enough in terms of openness. And like, you know, it is a struggle for people to sort of open up even to themselves. Yeah. And like, you know, can you talk a little bit about like what how do people even get started in terms of like being open for you know to start off with just with yourself and then you know how do you open up with other people as well sure yes and i definitely think um that's so important is just to first recognize that there's so much stigma a lot of times still um mm -hmm. even though we're having so many more conversations about mental health um mm -hmm. there's a lot of stigma of saying oh this is difficult for me or oh i feel anxious about this or um you know some areas are harder than others. And I think the first thing for me and what I found helpful for others is to really um, see kind of the spectrum of yourself. So mm -hmm. not just to focus on the negatives and say, oh, I'm an anxious person or, oh, I struggle with this, but to see where your sort of mental health strengths are as well. So you can kind mm -hmm. of more paint a portrait of yourself, you know, saying like, oh, here's my, where I'd like to grow. Here's where, you know, I already feel strong. And if you can model some of that, I think a lot of other people, whether they're colleagues or um, partners or or children, can learn a lot um, from that. Definitely. I mean, talking about partners and children, right? I mean, and, and this is a very relevant topic as of today, uh, seeing the statement from the Surgeon General as well. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I, I feel like, you know, we get to talking about mental health a little too late. Yeah. And like, you know, um, I, I sort of wanted to get your perspective on like, where do you get started, right? I mean, like, when do you begin to sort of have conversations around mental health? Yeah. Yeah. And I, I think it is a big misconception, actually, that kind of hurts us as a culture is that we kind of wait until we see there's a big problem or there's a crisis or something maybe really negative is happening. 
Mm-hmm. Um, I think we can really start thinking about mental health kind of from the positive side, just about emotions and mm-hmm. experiences and reflections, you know, positive, negative, neutral, et cetera, the whole range um, when people mm-hmm. are, you know, from the very beginning. So mm-hmm. it just is a conversation that's more about how are we reacting to things? How are we processing things? And it doesn't have to be negative. Um, so if we can start there, you know, it's mm-hmm. not as if we have to wait until, oh, now there's a really big challenge and now we kind of have to backtrack. Definitely. Um, and like, you know, I feel like, you know, children today are getting impacted by the aspect of mental health, yeah. you know, earlier and earlier, right? Mm-hmm. And, you know, I don't know how, you know, this sort of aspect uh, needs to be navigated better as well. So, you know, can you can you talk a little bit about like, you know, children and mental health and like how we can sort of start yeah. these conversations? Yeah. Definitely. Yes. I think um, one thing is really important is just that we often want to protect kids by not talking about things like this, you know, and saying mm-hmm. like, oh, you know, we're just they're going to work it out or we're going to scare kids if we talk about mental health too early or, mm-hmm. you know, oh, they're going to get anxious if we talk about anxiety, for example. Um, mm-hmm. That's really not the case. It's kind of a false um, perception that kids are going to be you know, anxious. We make them anxious by talking about anxiety or something. Um, and really, kids are always looking for this, especially these days um, because of what they're hearing, what they're being exposed to. Um, mm-hmm. Even just one example, literally from today, is that um, my daughter, who's 11, mm-hmm. came home and said, like, oh, did you hear about the four-year-old child that was kidnapped um, in Massachusetts? And do you know what happened to her? Mm-hmm. And there was an Amber Alert. And I said, like, oh, how did how did you know about all that? And she said, oh, all the kids in my class have Apple watches. And they all rang at the same mm-hmm. time. Right. Uh, and this is a fifth grade classroom. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I had no, actually, I, my phone didn't ring. I didn't know anything about it. And mm-hmm. so... You know, it's just a really brief example of how kids are really being hearing things, whether they want to or not, um, mm-hmm. by the nature of living there. And so I think we have a lot that we, they need help with, for sure. Definitely. And, you know, I think today one of the other challenges is social media and like the amount of information that we get um, in terms of people claiming expertise mm-hmm. or like highlighting themselves as experts. So, you know, you know, from your standpoint, so how do people sort of even understand that, you know, somebody is, you know, qualified to make a certain statement? Yeah. Right. Yeah. So, yeah. I mean, there's just so much out there. And that's why I'm, right. I'm very hesitant to have people be like, oh, let's like read more Instagram or scroll through Instagram. I think kids really do need help in critical thinking through those. Um, so I think one really important way to start is actually just to look at Instagram or other social media with a child, you know, alongside Mm -hmm. a child and go through and actually say like, well, how could we know if this was something that um, you should trust? You know, where Mm -hmm. does it come from? Where does this person, do they study this or are they just, you know, coming up with this or where? And um, because I think it's really easy to talk in the abstract, but it often doesn't make a lot of sense until we actually go and try it out. So I think that's one important place to start. Definitely. And, uh, the, the other thing that sort of also comes up is like the exposure to a lot of these content and you know that in itself sort of not recognizing how much exposure you're getting and mm-hmm. how do you talk about like limiting some of this exposure as well right i mean like yeah go ahead yeah yeah i mean i definitely think it has to do with um helping kids and other even ourselves um be more independent and kind of self-monitoring 
Um, and part of that is thinking about how you feel and reflecting on how you feel after and even before scrolling social media. Um, so helping kids get to the point, hopefully, when they're starting to notice, oh, when I do this for a long time, I start to feel kind of jittery or I start to feel really down or I start to like think about myself and how I'm not that good or something like that um, mm. to help people recognize that for themselves. Because obviously we are have to monitor ourselves. Kids will increasingly have to monitor themselves. So I don't mm. think it works as well if we just say, oh, we're going to ban this or we're going to you know make you sneak this if you want to have it. Because um, then it just creates kind of that forbidden fruit situation. Definitely. And you know, one other thing that, you know, people sort of ask me as well is like, um, is there a way uh, uh, to sort of understand, you know, there are certain applications or there are certain, you know, uh, mm -hmm. websites, right, which give out more sort of reliable information. Mm -hmm. So so what are some of the things that people can look for to sort of understand like, hey, you know what, this is a reliable source from that. Sense. Right, right. Yeah. So I think one important thing is to, if you see a web or something on social media, to really actually Google them and find their website um, and find kind of where, if you can read the About Us page, you know, and see, oh, have they been, um, are they affiliated with the university, for example, or mm -hmm. do they do research or are they, you know, medical doctors or, you know, mm -hmm. who are they? Because it's very true that there's actually a lot of really helpful information that people are increasingly putting on social media. Um, whether it's like information about raising kids or information about your own mental health, there's definitely really helpful channels. So mm -hmm. it's not to say that we want to say, oh, if it's on social media, it's not useful, but it's really important to start to distinguish, you know, where are these people's credentials and do they have um, some experience to back up what they're saying at least. Definitely. And, and, and you know, the, the other thing that I also sort of struggle with is to understand, right, is like the age five, right age when you start talking about this age seven is it is it a good enough time or uh, and like how do you sort of develop that sense of trust in 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 the conversations as well how, how do you go about sort of establishing that um yes i think i mean definitely for kids who are younger like say age four or five it is a lot more about just managing that time for them like they're not going to be able to self-monitor as well for example so um, setting more limits and actually I yeah I don't think kids of that age should be on social media at all right. pretty much. Um, but um, as kids get older I think especially as soon as they are using social media it's really important to sit down with them and to do some of this work um, and just to start more concretely the younger the child so rather than saying like in the abstract oh what are some ways you could know if someone was trustworthy to really mm -hmm. just actually try it out, go through, find one example that really is and one that really isn't, say, and then look mm -hmm. at them together, you know, and say, mm -hmm. well, what's the difference between the two of these? Like, how are you, how are they presenting themselves? Mm -hmm. And even ask them, like, what's, what are some of the downsides of if you trusted this information that wasn't very trustworthy, that kind of thing. Definitely. And yeah, I mean, like, I sort of, it sort of popped up that aspect of like developing that sense of self for them, developing, you know, that, ability to think for themselves in terms of uh, understanding, you know, where you're going uh, as well. Uh, you know, one thing that I sort of also now understand is the flip side of it, right? Like from a parent standpoint, like how, how does sort of mental health sort of get impacted? And like how, how you know, how, how do people sort of start having conversations around that? Yes, yeah, do you mean like in terms of the technology piece and things like, like the social media? Yeah. Uh, from the technology piece, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah so I think um, one thing to keep in mind is just that 
it's really easy to get in this sort of um, back and forth kind of argumentative stance with a child, especially your teenager and technology, um, mm -hmm. where you're the one saying, oh, you need less of it, get off your phone, get off this, stop playing video games. Mm -hmm. And your child is saying, oh, I want more of it. I want to play video games. I want to do social media. So, and that can get into kind of a, you know, destructive situation or just at least frustrating situation where no one feels really heard and your child is feeling like, oh, I just want more of this thing that my parents forbidding me from. Mm -hmm. um, so I think rather than that, I think it's really important to really talk with your child. You know, what are you getting out of these different apps? What are you getting out of this video game playing, for example? And then mm -hmm. how can you prioritize, say, a couple of the things that you really want so you still mm -hmm. have time for other activities, but that we can actually, you know, if you want to text your friends for however long, you know, how long do you think that should be? So kind of actually having that as a discussion and mm -hmm. based on, you know, what's valuable to you, not just saying, oh, it's all the same, but to say, you know, there's a difference between texting your friends to meet up and then scrolling through social media. So kind of getting right. more granular, you know, what are the uses that you're that you're using it for and then what's actually more valuable? Definitely. Um, and, you know, I'm sure like, you know, raising a kid isn't easy. And like, you know, there there are aspects of mental health that you need to sort of become aware about for yourself as well. So like, you know, what are some things that, you know, come up immediately when, when you sort of start thinking about like, you know, caregivers and like how their sort of mental health gets impacted? Yeah, I mean, I think one thing is just that it's really important to be open to telling your child that it's okay if you're having mental health challenges that you can come to me. Um, I think sometimes kids I've heard a lot um, talking about and also parents, um, this feeling that, you know, my mom or my dad wants me to be happy all the time, and they're going to be upset if they think mm -hmm. I'm not happy, or they think I'm feeling depressed, or they think I'm anxious. So I have to pretend like I'm happy and hide the fact that I am having these challenges. Um, mm -hmm. And that can be almost a bigger problem than the challenges themselves, because then the child starts to feel like, oh, I can't really trust my parent to tell them these things because they'll be disappointed in me. Um, yes. So I think it's really important just to set the foundation of saying, you know, whatever you're feeling is fine and we can talk about it, we can work through it. Um, mm -hmm. and I'm here for you, um, and especially, and also this feeling of we can have multiple conversations. So mm -hmm. sometimes parents, I think, feel like, we have to have this one really big, important conversation about mental health. Mm -hmm. And it often isn't that way and doesn't have to be that way. It can be mm -hmm. sort of every day just checking in, you know, how's how's it going today? Like, what are, what about that? What about that? Rather than, you know, mm -hmm. a big philosophical discussion. Definitely. And like, how much of your own sort of mental health do you expose to, to, to the children as well, right? I mean, like, I don't know, sometimes I feel like um, the more honest and vulnerable I am, I, I it sort of, uh, you know, percolates with the other people around me as well. And that's the way they sort of behave with me as well. So uh, any advice on like how you can... Yeah, <laughs> yeah I mean, I, for sure. I think it always, you know, I, I really like to um, honor the fact that all families are different and that, you know, some people have sort of um, more comfort with being open about how they're feeling and mental health. But I think one thing to be open about, I think, is to really emphasize that the emotional life that you're feeling. Like sometimes you can say, if you're feeling, for example, oh, I'm, I'm feeling a bit down today. You know, I wouldn't necessarily say like, oh, I've been really depressed and I've been in bed all day. I don't know that, you know, does your child need to know that? Mm -hmm. I don't know, maybe, but maybe not. 
Um, but I think what's important is to show that you also are feeling a range of emotions and also especially that those emotions can pass. So mm -hmm. if you're saying, oh, I was feeling this way and now I'm feeling like this. So and it's okay. You know, I, it's okay to feel that way. And it's okay to feel this way. And I don't have to beat myself up about mm -hmm. feeling maybe more down or more anxious or sh shy or, you know, whatever it is. Um, and I think to see that, that you're comfortable expressing your feeling, um, your range of feelings. And even if you, you know, say you are seeing a therapist or something like that, to be open about that too, if you feel mm -hmm. comfortable, um, to say that, you know, people do that, you know, they talk to other people about and they want to get help because they might be, um, you know, wanting to process some things in their life, you know, it doesn't right. have to be a bad thing. So right. um, I think that can is also a helpful discussion. Definitely. And, and, you know, since you brought up therapy, I was like, you know, kind of curious, like, you know, people are, you know, asking for help now more than ever. Mm -hmm. uh, but, but the thing is, like, I don't know, would you encourage a child to say, hey, you know what, if you can talk to me, like, you know, I can find you a therapist, like, to sort of talk to, or like, how, how would that sort of come about as well? So. Sure. I mean, yeah, definitely. I think the good thing is, um, well, good and bad is that, um, you know, schools do have school counselors. However, okay. the bad news is that they are severely um, overworked. <laughs> that right. They have very large caseloads and it's very hard to find time um, just because so many kids are in need of services and there just aren't enough um, mm -hmm. counselors. So I do think that it's a worthwhile discussion. If you feel like your child is having um, difficulties beyond what you um, feel like you could talk about or even just that your child doesn't want to talk to you about it, um, I definitely think that if it's possible for you that that's a really important thing to try because um, maybe it's just that your child needs a person outside of the family to talk to about these issues um, and maybe that will actually help improve the family dynamics too so i definitely am am for that if it's possible financially and if um, there isn't some support at the school yeah. definitely i mean like i think you mentioned the next question that i was going to ask you about like for one uh, awareness is a challenge for two access is a, another challenge like and for people who don't have awareness or access um you know what are some things people can do to sort of like help themselves get started at least in in this journey of like building you know mental health awareness so. yes um i need some some very basic things or you know you can actually even though you don't want to use other people as therapists but you know therapy is only one modality of talking to people you can actually even if you can't afford a therapist or you don't have access to one for some reason, um, finding community is really helpful as well. So even to find, say, if you're a single mom, to find other moms who are in that position who are struggling with some of the same things and you can maybe help each other um, mm -hmm. with some of those challenges and even help each other with logistical tasks. Like actually, well, could you take this while I do that? That kind of mm -hmm. thing. Um, mm -hmm. I think we, in our culture, we've gone a long way you know, away from um supportive communities of people uh -huh. and mm -hmm. i've actually read some interesting articles recently about um single moms who are getting together and starting to raise kids together um mm -hmm. to, you know to find the support and i think that's just really amazing because that's kind of getting back to that model of saying well yeah not no one person can handle all of that or should be expected to definitely and you know the other thing is like you know um Sometimes uh, when you look at specific content or like, you know, the 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 way the tech space has sort of been organized today, it's like it almost reinforces your belief. The more you look into something, the more it sort of reinforces your own belief. 
and like you know I, one thing that i find hard to do is unlearning you know some of the things that you know you've learned from the day. like you know how how can sort of people inculcate that aspect of saying hey you know what maybe i should take a pause like <laughs> and unlearn some of my own yeah yes yes i mean i do think it does take a certain sense of humility and somewhat self um reflection i'm um, to say yeah maybe there's some things to unlearn i think one way is just to maybe say well maybe i'm not going to unlearn it permanently but i'm just going to test it out and see if it feels maybe better that way or see if you know if i try out this other way of thinking how is my life going to change even in small ways and will i like it or will i think oh that's not actually the way i want to go so maybe to feel like you don't have to change wholesale but you can maybe change in little increments and mm. see how it feels to you and the people in your life definitely and and the other thing that sort of comes into this sort of ball game is religion and faith right and like you know and i feel like you know this is a, a part of the conversation as sort of kids grow up to sort of understand like you know what certain things happen and like how you know you can people use that sort of going forward in terms of you know mental health help as well so can you talk a little bit about like how you know some we can have some conversations around like you know uh, faith without sort of <laughs> you know putting too much on 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 the children as well mm-hmm. yes yes i mean do you mean faith in terms of belief systems and religion? belief systems yes okay. belief systems and religion yeah yes yes um yeah so i think um faith has been a really important part of so many people's lives and continues to be and right. i think it's important culturally it's important for people's value systems and i do think that helping children understand that so many religions and faiths are united by the will for example for people to treat each other well um mm-hmm. to have a better world that kind of thing um to see um tolerance for other religions as part of one's own belief system sort of how can we have our own system and also be excited about the fact that other people believe other things um and how can we see the unity in that um mm-hmm. i think is really important i think what some people see as a challenge is if um parents can be sort of too dogmatic that can push the children away uh mm-hmm. you know you say oh you have to believe this or you have to perform these kind of rituals in this way um mm-hmm. you know it's obviously up to what each person believes but i do tend to go more on the side of um being a little more open with how their religion is expressed and just try to help your child um understand the reason for um some of the values that you have right definitely i mean like um you know one thing that as part of my unlearning i realized that you know there are certain things that i was told to believe or like to told to do which necessarily didn't have a lot of cultural significance but uh, mm-hmm. it it, it uh, actually wanted the uh, uh them to sort of say hey um you know you do this and it gives you uh, a sense of creating your own practices or routines and you know mm-hmm. that's the way you know they sort of intended it but yeah. you know, it can sort of get translated um in the in the right uh, format mm-hmm. um um and and you know the other thing is like you know people have unrealistic expectations sometimes of like either themselves or like you know how they want to sort of raise their kids as well like and and i and i feel like i've seen this with people in terms of their own struggle so how do you sort of accept failure right i mean how do you how do you sort of deal with this aspect of saying hey i i, I just don't know right yes. mean, like, <laughs> yeah yeah so, for sure yeah in terms of like trying to get ahead of things right. yeah 
Right. Yeah, I mean, I think it is so hard, I think, to realize, oh, we are, whatever we say and how we approach failure, even how we approach faith and things like that are constantly being watched by kids and by modeled a lot of times. Mm. Um, so it does have to happen, I think, even in small moments. And that's what I would maybe say is to just start small with noticing how you can fail at things maybe that aren't so, um, you know, that you don't have so much attachment to. So maybe it's just failing at cooking the right dinner that you wanted to cook or, you know, failing to, you know, something that was minor, but you can kind of laugh at yourself mm -hmm. and creating that kind of culture where you feel like, oh, it's okay to fail. And let me see what I could do differently next time and kind of analyze it a little bit um, before you start to talk about failing at bigger things or things that you feel like, oh, this is really meaningful for me. Um, mm -hmm. and, and even talking through sometimes if you do experience a big failure, um, sometimes talking it through with your child, since they'll probably be aware that you're disappointed um, mm -hmm. and saying, you know, oh, I feel really disappointed about this, but I'm going to look for other opportunities or I'm going to try to find a different kind of job if I lost my job or something like that. So kids see that, okay, well, you can still have optimism even in the face of, you know, your disappointment, for example. Definitely. And, and, and the other aspect that I also notice is like, you know, um, sometimes you see kids trying things but they tend to give up and like, you know, yeah, I, I, and, and I feel like, you know, at times it's that struggle to say, hey, you know what, should I push somebody to sort of keep pursuing it or just say, hey, you know what, let them figure out. Like, you right. know, can, you, can you talk a little bit from that perspective? Yeah, yeah it is. and I think it's, it's always a fine balance because you do want to help kids persist and feel like, oh, I can keep trying. But then there's often, you know, we don't want to go too far to say, oh, you're going to say, you know, keep this child doing something even long past the sense where that's enjoyable for them or where they're getting anything out of it just for the sake of persisting. Um, so I think part of it is helping a child talk about that balance and sort of think about, well, what is this, what is sort of the enjoyment for you here? What do you think you could try next? Um, and then, you know, at some point, do you feel like you're done with this? Do you feel like you want to move on to something else? Mm -hmm. And and why and kind of help them evaluate that because sometimes it is a question of okay i really do feel like i'm done with this sport or with this activity you know and and i really or just maybe even to say oh it looks like you're really feeling stuck with that you know maybe it would be helpful to step away and come back and try it again so sometimes saying well let's not push through but you can always come back um can sometimes give kids a sense of like oh there is a window where you know I don't have to just either keep going or stop completely, but there's something in between too. Definitely. And, you know, I think uh, we've discussed around a variety of things like, and sometimes I feel like there's so much good content out there. And like, you know, even for like parents to sort of read about, and, you know, you get overwhelmed by sort of looking at all the information out there. And, you know, people are writing more content today and like, you know, so, like i don't know like as uh, somebody who's going to become a new parent like you know how are some of ways you know you can sort of narrow it down even for adults right i mean like adulting for adults like how do you sort of give some advice to people from that standpoint yeah yeah yes. i mean i think the first thing is yes to just trust your own instincts and trust yourself i think a lot of times people start to think, oh, I don't know how to do it. I'm going to go to Instagram or I'm going to go to the parenting book and figure it out. Um, and first, I think to say you probably know more, a lot more than you think. Um, mm -hmm. And so I think to first trust yourself um, and then always to sort of 
um, direct compassion, I would say, at yourself and at your situation to recognize, oh, this is a new situation for you, especially if you're a new parent. Um, mm -hmm. And it can be okay to um, not know everything at this moment. Um, and one mm -hmm. thing I really emphasize, because I do a lot of work on conversation, is that mm -hmm. your child actually teaches you. So from even from the very beginning. So what mm -hmm. kind of you know, being held, what what do they need? How much food do they need and when? Like your child is actually giving you all these signals. Mm -hmm. So I'd say the most important thing is just to really notice and be responsive to your child. And rather than, you know, feeling you have to follow some kind of book or, you know, or guidance um, to really, to start there, um, I think is just really important. Definitely. And, you know, one thing that I've seen, and I don't know if, I'm sort of the only person feeling this way, but like I feel like you know people of color have sort of lost trust, lost faith in media, in 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 research, in the data, yeah. right? I mean that, that's being sort of published, and like you know, and I feel like at times you know people of color have been ignored from that standpoint in terms of like the some of the things that have been done, and how do we sort of create this sense of equity, right? How do we send create the sense of place where we say hey you know what we know for sure that you know people of color are being included in, yes. in, 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 in some of the research that we sort of publish going forward as well yeah yes I think that's such an important topic and I think one thing especially in my field as a speech pathologist I'm very aware of is that for many years and even centuries there's been this idea of kind of there's one right way to talk mm -hmm. um, often excludes or just sort of you know minimizes people of color and even focuses on sort of white women usually um, because that's what the research was done on and so they mm -hmm. say this is you know then you have people saying oh well that's the right way to talk and so i think it's so important to say there are many right ways there's many cultural differences that we should be celebrating and not minimizing mm -hmm. um, to bring in people from a variety of backgrounds of races of ethnicities um, and to highlight the ways that their uniqueness, you know, is bringing actual, um, you know, is bringing interest, is bringing um, light to our culture rather than to say, oh, we should all be in this one way. Um, I think research still is, I think, has been making headway in, um, you know, drawing from a variety of um, populations. But obviously, there's still a huge amount left to be done. So I think that we should all be hopefully working in that direction. Definitely. And, you know, it, it sort of brings me back to this aspect of trust, right? Mm -hmm. And like, you know, I, I feel like the trust has been sort of broken and like, you know, and I, and I want to sort of relink it back to sort of children and having these conversations, mm -hmm. right? Like, I, I'm just trying to understand. So if you can answer both questions from that standpoint, how do we build trust? How, how do we showcase that, you know, we, we, are, we are sort of working towards, you know, improving mm -hmm. and admitting that you know we've made a mistake from that standpoint yeah. yes i think i mean one thing is to just get past focusing only on data and start focusing on people's stories mm -hmm. and actually helping people see um whether it's video audio um written helping people see and and highlight and raise up the voices of people of color and of saying you know here is what my perspective has taught me here is what my experience has taught me and to have you know other people step back and to say okay so maybe i'm not the expert on your own on your experience you're the expert on your experience um mm -hmm. and to really feel like um that balance should be shifted and we should be seeing more equity actually you know visually and auditorily everywhere um rather than saying 
oh, we have um, these experts here who are all, you know, white men or who are whatever telling you what to do or what to think. Um, and so I think that's one part. And I think another part is just to be um, much more clear and transparent about, well, who was this, who were the subjects of this research? You know, let's actually highlight that. Um, mm -hmm. If there weren't people of color in the research study, why not? Um, mm -hmm. You know, what, let's be more clear about the limitations of that study then, um, mm -hmm. that kind of thing. Um, so I think that's all really um, important and especially that transparency. So we feel like, oh, we actually are talking about this and not trying to hide the fact that there are these inequities that remain. Definitely. And um, taking the conversation back to kids, like, mm -hmm. uh, you know, how do you sort of sort of have these conversations where either, you know, you get into a situation where the kid doesn't trust you? And mm -hmm. like, how do you sort of build that trust back in, in into the kid? Mm -hmm. so. Yeah. Um, so I think there's a couple ways. I think one is um, to talk about things you see in the media is one way. Um, so I think a lot of times now we have programming and so on that shows kids from different cultures, from different places. Um, and to actually say, you know, is this like your experience? Can you tell me more about what your experience is like? And to have something concrete to talk about, like whether it's a, a novel, whether it's a cartoon, um, can be really helpful just because, you know, especially with younger kids, it's really hard to talk about those things in the abstract. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, and then also just to really focus on, um, letting kids express themselves in different ways. So sometimes we say to kids, oh, why don't you write this? And the kids don't necessarily want to because it's harder to write and it's, you know, they might feel embarrassed to say, well, what about you make a video about it? Um, or what about you dictate it? Um, so kind of opening up kids' self-expression to different modalities and rather than being so strict and saying, oh, it has to be written or it has to be spelled correctly, uh, I think could really help build the trust too. Definitely. Um... You know, I, I always shoot for, you know, the moon and like I, I so one of my sort of thing is like, how can we sort of influence policy, right? Because ultimately, you know, th that's our goal because like, you know, having conversations is great, you know, like talking about is great, publishing content is great, but like, unless we have policy changes, you know, we yeah. won't see action mm -hmm. that's being enforced to sort of people to, you know, commit mm -hmm. To, you know these uh, these as well so like can you talk a little bit from that standpoint as well like how can we even sort of make an attempt towards you know making changes to the policy yes i mean i think one is just to just raise awareness about the level of need that there is right now um the level of mental health challenges kids are facing for example um the the you know missing school counselors school psychologists sort of the missing piece that really kids are not having support, um, you know, from professionals to process a lot of emotions. And it's mm -hmm. leaving a lot of teachers and parents who are needing to do a lot of that themselves um, and ca mm -hmm. other caregivers. So even just highlighting the fact that this is such a huge need and it's impacting children's daily lives, their health mentally and physically. Um, mm -hmm. And if you want to get economic about it, you know, their ability to join the workforce and to be successful mm -hmm. in that as well. Um, mm -hmm. That's not my primary motivation, but if you want to talk to policymakers who are interested in that, then right. yeah. I think it's important to highlight also. Um, and to really first recognize that um, we can all get around this cause from a variety of angles. So, mm -hmm. so much that shows, you know, toxic stress causes um, d damage, you know, for children, not just neurologically, but in terms of their long term mental health, their long term ability to have relationships, to have families, mm -hmm. and just for mm -hmm. the next generation. So 
Um, I think talking about it from all of these different angles, whether it's financial, economic, um, you know, psychological, and so on, um, mm -hmm. is important first step just so people see um, that it is actually a really urgent situation. Definitely, yeah. And thank you for you know highlighting that. Yeah. Um, you know, one thing that I'm trying to do is like you know be inclusive and ask people, hey, you know what, you are in a crisis. Like, how do you sort of you know deal with it, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, what are some of your tips? that you can give people uh, to sort of say hey you know what uh, how do i calm myself down how do i sort of put myself into a better headspace so i can deal with whatever is going on better sure yeah i think there's a couple things for me and one is just um i really enjoy taking walks so i think getting outside getting kids outside um hopefully without devices if you have some kind of natural spaces even if you don't have a lot of natural space even to get in outside in your apartment stoop or outside your, you know, wherever you are. Um, a lot of times you could just start there because you, it helps you kind of move your headspace and start noticing other things, whether it's the ants on the sidewalk or whether it's, you know, the forest. It doesn't have to be incredibly beautiful and like, you know, out there. So sometimes people think like, oh, I need to go on this long trip to uh -huh. get nature. Um, but really nature can be you know, something very minor <laughs> like that. Um, it can be a good shift. Um, I also do, even though I'm not a professional artist, I do a lot of drawing um, just as a relaxation and kind of for fun. And I, I do that with my children sometimes. So I kind of, we have drawing time. And I think in a world where we're all very verbal and I'm often writing and talking, it's actually can be really interesting and helpful just to play music and to do things like drawing or playing piano or something like that that don't necessarily involve words and everyone can be together but not necessarily needing to like constantly talk and interact in that way oh my god you know you just took my words out of my mouth wherein like you know um, i do a lot of mental health support groups and sometimes we say uh, you know you don't need to say anything Right. Mm -hmm. you, you just need to be there and hold space for everybody because like you know we all know it's just hard mm -hmm. it, 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 you know everybody is sort of dealing with something yeah, yeah. and I, I, I don't know like I, I just want to get your take on this like so much of our communication is non-verbal mm -hmm. but there is so much stress that's put on like the verbal communication of what is said and how it is said and like you know people take so much meaning out of you know, mm -hmm. out of context as well. Like, you know, what is your sort of takeaway from like this and from an individual sort of mental health standpoint as well? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's funny because I was talking with someone about this today that sometimes um, we think about talking is always good. And it's funny because I wrote a book about talking with children. And sometimes, <laughs> you know, I was kind of pushing back and saying, you know, sometimes more talking is not necessarily helpful and more words aren't necessarily helpful. Um, sometimes it can be the most kind of restorative for you and for a child if you sit and, you know, you cook together in silence or you sit while your child is playing a board game by themselves and you're knitting, you know, and just kind of to sit there and to let the silence go or to watch um, your birds in your bird cage or whatever it is um, can really be important. And there's actually so much research out there in terms of the benefits of mind wandering. So actually just letting yourself have some downtime in order to kind of daydream or let your mind um, go where it wants. And so I think we as a culture are so often um, pummeled with words that sometimes at the end of the day, you know, it gets to the point where it's like, oh, I actually want not to talk um, for a while. And I think kids are feeling that too. Um, and you know, one one other thing that sort of came up when, when you said, um, you know, uh, communication and kids and the influence, 
you know my struggle is english isn't my first language and you know i i i sort of have to sort of translate uh, what is going on in my head in my first language to sort of you know interpret something and like and this is a challenge for people with families which you know don't necessarily speak the english language natively I, I, i don't know like you know have you seen any impact in terms of like trying to communicate so hard in english when you don't know the right words or the right way of saying things and that sort of impacting people and how they sort of engage and you know uh, yeah. uh, for sure yes definitely so yeah i oftentimes have worked with a lot of families who've gotten the message for example that they have to talk english to their children or they feel they have to talk english to their children to help them become good at english even if their own english is not very good um and what we actually know is that um especially if children are living in the states that they will pick up english from school um but that it's really important for families to speak in a language that first they can speak well that they have a good vocabulary in and then also that feels warm to them that feels comforting and easy for them mm -hmm. so i actually really often encourage parents to speak at least part of the time in their native languages to their children both to maintain that culture and that language but then also so it's easier for the parent to communicate what they want to say um because mm -hmm. sometimes i do feel like there's that struggle um you know to get across what is it that i want to communicate easily when you're always doing that translation process and it's similar in my house actually i speak mostly english to my kids but my husband's french and we sometimes speak either english or french to them um mm -hmm. and oftentimes i end up speaking english and he speaks french just because we both understand each other but it's easier to communicate in your own language um so yeah i, I definitely know that struggle myself um and like you know in order for inclusivity you know are there some things that you say to yourself like you know when you are feeling that sense of anxiety and you know i encourage people to use their local language because you know that sort of emotion comes out in the local yeah. language right you were saying and like i've gotten people to speak in greek in uh, you know in, in in all the different languages yes, that yes. i have encountered as well so if there is something that you want to say out loud that'll be great as well <laughs> yes i mean i think um one thing is just that children when they're learning a language especially a language that you grew up with um they're also learning your culture and you're also helping to maintain that culture for them um just by speaking your own language so i think that even though there's oftentimes push especially if your language isn't commonly spoken in the states there's push for kids not to speak it i think you're actually doing them a big service to keep mm -hmm. that up for them and we know so many benefits of being bilingual or multilingual um mm -hmm. you know that ranging from like <laughs> cognitive benefits emotional benefits so i think that parents should really feel motivated to do that even though it can feel like the culture is pushing it back against that definitely um yeah the, the the conversation has just been mind blowing and uh, you know i i really appreciate your uh, you know time uh, for nice. this and um you know if there were a few things you wanted to pe people to take away from this conversation what would they do yeah um i think first just just that i think mental health should be an ongoing and hopefully easy conversation with kids most of the time obviously it can't be that way all the time especially if people are in crisis Um but if we start small um when kids are not in crisis and we are not in crisis and we start talking about just the range of emotions and how we're feeling and reacting to things and how we're processing things I think mm -hmm. that opens up um the channel of communication so mm -hmm. that then when there are the harder times and the bigger challenges then we feel like okay we can have those conversations you're kind of setting the stage for that 
Um, so I would just encourage people to start where they are and start small um, and then kind of go from there. And also not to feel ashamed about needing help or helping their children get help, um, recognizing that this is a challenging time for a lot of people. Definitely. I mean, I uh, totally agree with the, the challenging aspect because it's uh, <laughs> it, it's just been, uh, the times have been crazy. And um, just, yeah, having that uh, awareness that, you know, everybody is dealing with something and, uh, you know, hopefully, you know, we can all be connected and support each other better. So, um, yeah. <laughs> well, thanks so much. I appreciate it. And yeah, best of luck.